Hello, and welcome to Unknowable, the podcast where we talk about all things mysterious, unusual, or unknowable. I'm Justine. And I'm Gray. Some weeks we break down one larger mystery between the two of us. Other weeks we break down two smaller mysteries on a theme and teach each other about them based on our own independent research. This week, we have two smaller mysteries that are vaguely holiday-related. Kinda, sorta. They both took place around the holidays. Yeah, they took place... Right before Christmas. Right. They're both super depressing. Super depressing. Which is also fitting for the holidays. Right. Yeah. I think that's more appropriate than a happy-go-lucky story, personally. It would just feel wrong if we were like, yay, Christmas. The real mystery is how does Jesus love us so much? Oh. How How, how can his heart be so big? Yeah. How do we know? But (laughs) instead, we're going to go with death and... Suicide. Sadness. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But they are both really interesting stories. Super interesting stories. So, and probably lesser, I would think lesser known stories. Yeah. I'm going to guess definitely yours is probably more lesser known. Right. Mine, but I think mine too. Yours is kind of like a classic. Yeah. I've known about it, but I don't know a huge amount of details. That's good. So. You're going to learn some shit. It's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Why don't you go first? All right. So, anybody who knows me knows that I love hip-hop. I listen to almost nothing but rap and hip-hop. And one of the most interesting stories I've ever heard about in the hip-hop world was the death of a rapper named Capital Steez. So, Capital Steez was born back in 1993, so he's only two years younger than me. That's crazy. Right. Wow. Um, So, he was born in 1993 in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Um, his real name was Courtney Everold Duar Jr., but he went by Jamal. Hmm, Um, but his rap name was Capital Steez. So he started off rapping in high school almost as just like a thing to do, but he started to gain some notoriety, um, especially like in his local high school. He was known as like the rapper. Um, and he kind of like really took to it. And as he started to get more notoriety for it and people started to recognize him for it, he kind of like honed his image. He like lost weight, grew some dreads and started like dressing more like a rapper. Um, and he started a sort of rap collective with his friend called pro era, which kind of became more of a thing in Brooklyn. And he ended up actually not discovering the rapper Joey Badass, but he, kind of like signed him to pro era or like kind of like brought him into the fold of pro era. Mm. And if you ever listen to Joey badass music still to this day, he like reps pro era and talks about pro era. So Mm. this was all started by capital Steez. Um, Joey badass is definitely the most famous of the pro era crew. Um, and that's going to factor into capital Steez's story and why some things happen. Um, so capital Steez kind of gets, He's starting to gain some notoriety, starting to gain traction. Joey Badass is definitely getting more attention than he is, but they're all kind of rising up as a crew together. They do, like, group interviews and stuff. Um, Capital C's was kind of a more quiet, thoughtful... Um, he had some some pretty, like, esoteric beliefs. He was really into, like, spiritualism. He considered himself Rastafarian. Um, he would talk about um you know like having his third eye open chakras he was really into like sort of spirituality whereas joey badass was kind of more of just like a like um not like he was just like joey badass's like lyrical content was like lighter Mm. like he wasn't quite trying to deal with like super deep topics like he would bring up some deep topics but overall he was more just kind of like lighter hearted higher energy just sort of more marketable in general Mm. um so as they were coming up together, they started to notice that, or Capital C started to notice that, like, when he was doing interviews, they didn't really care about what Capital C's was talking about. They would focus solely in on Joey Badass. Mm. Joey would get uh, more solo interviews. He would get, um, like, free products sent to him by people. And even though yeah. Capital C's was, in my opinion, a far stronger rapper, stronger lyricist, just a better rapper in general, Joey Badass got way more of the attention. Yeah. Um, and this definitely, like, weighed on capital steez he was not like all about fame but he had some really like lofty ideals like he wanted to like change the world through rap music and he knew that he had to like have some level of fame and notoriety to do that so it definitely like 
weighed on him that like he was clearly being ignored. Yeah. Um, so that kind of like sets the stage for like his rap career. He was really only active in like the, the rap world for about three years, oh, 2009 wow. to 2012. Jeez. And he made a pretty big impact in that time. Um, I was listening to him. He was one of my favorite rappers at the time. Mm. I like knew of him while he was still alive. And so when what happens happened, I was aware of it. It hit me hard. I was like, holy crap, that's one of my favorite rappers. Yeah. Um, so underneath all of that was this sort of like quiet, introverted kid mm. who had these really strange spiritual beliefs. So I'm going to kind of set the stage here. He sort of had three sort of core beliefs in his mind while he was doing all of this. One was that he was the Baphomet. Like he himself had taken the form of the Baphomet, which is a, a androgynous God that is largely associated with Satan and Satanism, but is actually a neutral entity, not, good nor evil the whole point of it being androgynous having both male and female genitalia is he represents kind of like yin and yang Mm -hmm. balance in the universe neither good nor bad he's just like equilibrium jesus um so he believed he was the baphomet he also believed he was an indigo child which i don't know if you have any grounding in what indigo children were it was a spiritual sort of like movement back in the 1970s Mm. where people believed that children would be born who possessed special unusual or supernatural abilities um the whole point of indigo is that their aura would glow indigo whereas Hmm. other people's would glow green or orange or whatever um so they believed everything from they had you know a high iq they were highly intuitive they were resistance they were resistant to like rigid forms of control Mm. um but also that they were like psychic they could perform like psychokinesis, like move things with their mind and yeah. read people's minds. Whoa. Um, all of this has been debunked by science. Yeah. But he believed he, so he believed he was the Baphomet. He believed he was an indigo child and he believed that the end of the world was imminent. Yeah. Either in 2012, December 21st, 2012. Okay. So I remember that being a thing. Put a, put, put a pin in that date. Yeah. Um, or that December 21st, 2012 was going to be a, global paradigm shift and how human consciousness sort of like behaved and believed, Mm. but that 2047 was going to be the actual end of the world. Okay. Um, and so that leads me to the number 47 was very significant in his life. So the, there's the two chakras, the fourth chakra is the heart chakra and the seventh chakra is the mind chakra. I think things like heart and mind. Yeah. Um, so he looked at the number 47 as like the ultimate balance in the universe. Then he saw the number 47 everywhere. He was like, had a strong belief that it was a very significant number. He believed in numerology as well. So because of that number 47, he created this sort of symbol that looks almost like a swastika with the numbers four, oh, four yeah. and seven okay. put together. Weird. Um, and he made these like stickers that had the number 47 that vaguely resembled a swastika with a white circle and a red background so it looked a lot like a nazi flag great and he did that as a comment about how the swastika was originally an esoteric eastern religious symbol that was co-opted by the nazis and turned into this like ultimate symbol of negativity mm-hmm. so he was almost trying to flip that yeah and just kind of comment about how like he was trying to like almost take the swastika back so he like made these stickers and he went around brooklyn putting them up and um, he actually was being investigated by the police for doing this because they believed it was like a, a neo-Nazi symbol or some mm. sort of like white supremacist symbol. Oh, shit. So he was basically being tailed by the the New York City Police Department. or awesome. So he thought maybe he actually was. Right. They definitely had like a file on whoever was putting up these stickers, but it's up for debate whether or not he was actually being followed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as a black man in New York, yeah. he, had, he had been stopped and frisked like eight or nine times. Oh, yeah. Um, just for walking down the street. Yeah. So... I can see why he was paranoid. Yeah, the paranoia is based in reality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so he has these kind of, like... So, the person I just described does not sound like your typical rapper. No. Like, he's definitely has some strange... Like, even his friends were like, man, I love Capital Steez, but, like, damn, he's got, like, some, <laughs> like, intense beliefs, you know? Yeah. He didn't really make a whole lot of sense to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he 
had these esoteric beliefs, but also wanted to be a rapper. He was a virgin on purpose. Like he wanted to like keep his temple clean. Mm. Um, he didn't eat junk food. He really tried to like take care of his body and stuff. Um, as Joey Badass started to take off, he went on tour with Joey. And while on tour, he would eat junk food. He lost his virginity. He mm. was smoking a ton of weed, which he smoked weed before, but like was doing it way more heavily and in a way more unhealthy way. Mm. Um, and it just kind of generally like fucked with his psyche. Yeah. It didn't like, it didn't agree with him and he really didn't like it. Um, and that's kind of like as things started to shift in his brain, I think. Um, he played his last show on December 12th, 2012. Um, he showed up, not a lot of people were there. So he was like kind of heckling the crowd, like all pissed that there weren't a lot of people there. He was super drunk. He Mm -hmm. didn't, he like almost never drank. So like the fact that he was drunk was bad. He was just clearly in like a bad state of mind. Um, he went in December 21st, 2012. So the day that the world was supposed to end is when him and pro era released their mixtape. Um, it was supposed to be like a big party. It was like this big, great thing. Um, they had a party at the, the Stussy store in New York city, this like clothing store. Mm-hmm. Um, all his friends were there as this really high energy thing. And they basically like dragged him to it. He didn't want to go. Yeah. He was just kind of withdrawing into himself. Um, he still went though. And the story that somebody told was that he got super mad and like kind of blew up at everybody because somebody asked him to sign a t-shirt and nobody gave him a Sharpie. And so he just, like, freaked out and, like, yelled. Damn. Um, So clearly he was, like, he had, like, some stuff going on. You know what I mean? Things were weighing on his conscious. So that was December 21st. December 23rd, he went, or December 22nd, he went and went to the studio and was recording with some of his friends. And he made vague allusions to jumping off a building to kill himself. Great. Um, And they took it not necessarily seriously. They were just, like you know, like classic capital C is talking about crazy stuff again. Yeah. Um, and they kind of tried to talk him out of it. Like, no man, don't do that. You don't want to do that. But they said, like, it seemed like his mind was already made up. Mm -hmm. So that was December 22nd, December 23rd. He spent all day in his house. According to his mom, he, uh, actually spent all day in his room, just hold up by himself. We have no idea what he was doing, what he was thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, all day. That night, his mom goes to bed thinking he's still in the apartment with her. Um, and basically what he did was he left after nighttime. He went to the headquarters of the re- uh, record label that him and Joey were signed to, which their record label was in this big skyscraper in New York City, the same building that the magazine Complex and uh, Echo Unlimited had their headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, he got in because he was technically an employee of the record label. So he got in after hours, went up to the rooftop, sent a couple texts to a couple friends saying like, I love you. And then tweeted the end Jesus. at like 1154. Jesus. And then ran and jumped off the building, like landed in the middle of the road. Oh my God. And obviously died. And supposedly when he died, he was clutching a Bible to his chest. Whoa. So, Shit. That was the end of Capital Steez. So that was some chills right there. Right. It's intense. Like Damn. You know how many stories the building was? No, I don't. Shit. But it was they, but. they described it as a skyscraper. Okay. Yeah. So a decent amount of stories. Damn. Um Ugh. so after he died, there's some weird things. Like they wouldn't let his mom see his body. Hmm. They showed her photos of it, according to her, but like wouldn't actually let her see the physical body, which seems strange. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of when everybody started to go back and look at a lot of his like internet history and like MySpace, Facebook, mm. uh, Twitter and stuff. But it basically paints a picture of somebody who was most likely schizophrenic. Mm. Um, he was in his early twenties, which is exactly when schizophrenia presents. He was, it was undiagnosed. He didn't have any medication for it. Um, also, there's a lot of evidence that shows that smoking large amounts of weed when you're schizophrenic, if you're not well medicated, will actually negatively impact your mental state. Oh, wow. So if he's undiagnosed schizophrenic, living in some pretty rough circumstances in that his dad wasn't around, 
he's made vague allusions in songs because of his dad like dealt crack or was arrested for crack in some way. Yeah. Um, so he has like a rough upbringing. He's clearly being ignored for a something that he knows he was a better rapper than his friend. He's being ignored in the rap game and has this undiagnosed mental illness. That's a really intense mental illness and is exacerbating it with like recreational drug use. Yeah. Um, and then you throw on top of that all of his sort of spiritual beliefs and it sort of paints a picture of somebody who was just, I feel really bad for him. Yeah. Like I don't, like I wish that like somebody had just got there and could have like talked to him or something. Right. But part of me doesn't think that this reads as just a typical like depression suicide. Like he didn't yeah. want to just like end it and get out of the world. Yeah. There, this He seemed very purposeful with his suicide. Like it was coinciding with something. Right. So... He died um, the night of December 23rd, mm-hmm. which um, if you, so it's, it was 12, 23, 12 that he jumped. Yeah. You add those numbers together and it comes to 47. Oh shit. Which may or may not have been an accident. Jesus. Um, Again, he, he seems so purposeful though. Like I can't imagine. I can't imagine that it was. was an accident. He like just made it too. It was like 1154 at night. Damn. Um, so he also believed that the world was going to end or that there was going to be a global paradigm shift December 21st, 2012. Mm-hmm. So two days before he jumped. Yeah. Um, and he had these, his sort of belief of him being the Baphomet and an indigo child. Um, he believed that like he had a higher purpose and that he had made allusions to being reborn and having to sort of like shed this, like body or whatever in order to like do what his life's purpose was Mm. and fulfill like like not like the prophecy but fulfill some like higher purpose yeah so i mean like how do we know maybe he had some maybe he was an indigo child maybe he had this like deep intense knowledge of the world and what was going on and he was very sensitive to things like a, a global paradigm shift like thinking back to it like 2012 was kind of like a shift like yeah. you know it was what the start of obama's last term mm-hmm. um it's just kind of when i feel like a lot of like the world just started to like go off the rails a little bit yeah it's like kind of when isis started to become a thing i'm trying to remember i remember there being a like publicized supposed like end of the world in 2012 but it wasn't december i feel like it was may interesting like i think it was may 21st the end of the mayan calendar something it was something like that it was like oh the world's gonna end because i remember i remember the date because i photographed weddings and that i happened to have a wedding on that day and it was Uh like a funny thing that like they had the officiant like hold up a paper you know from that day that was like end of the world and they were just like well (laughs) here we go here we go so i remember that being a thing and then you know of course it was like oh the world didn't end but right it is interesting that the the world ending can be interpreted in those two different ways. Like doesn't necessarily mean a literal world ending right. in the sense that like the world, you know, you think that's, that's so in your mind, I think it becomes so like, yeah, like you just, the earth is going to explode. Right. We're all dead. But yeah, if that kind of was a big shift that way, then like it kind of was the world at the time ending. It's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. So, which definitely I like, I saw a meme the other day that was like that too. That was like, they said the world was going to end in 2012, but has anyone really felt alive since then? Right. It's like, okay, yeah. It's yeah, true. I, yep. There's like, a, I don't know, 2012 does just seem like it was like a very like, like watershed year. Yeah. In like my mind where it's like everything before 2012 was one timeline and everything after it was a different timeline. Yeah, a totally different thing. Maybe that's when we shifted into the, the parallel universe that has the Berenstain bears in it. Yeah. Everything fucking shifted. Right. God damn it. And if only it hadn't. Right. So many things would be different right now. Mm, capital Steez knew it. Yeah. Maybe Capital Steez would be alive. Right. Wow. So it's a very, he's a very interesting, troubled, flawed person. And I feel like the unknowable part of his story is just like almost exactly what he believed and what, how he viewed the world. Like mm. you kind of get all of these little like little breadcrumbs here and there like oh he believed he was the baphomet he believed he was an indigo child he believed the world was gonna end um he believed in like anti-consumerism and stuff but you don't really get a cohesive picture of how he thought all of these pieces fit together Mm. and as people know from listening to this episode i draw conclusions i like to put things together and like put it into a cohesive timeline and a cohesive idea yeah and this story has always kind of like not bothered me but like it always has felt 
unfinished to me because I don't know what he was thinking. Like, what was he yeah. doing in his room on December 23rd? Like, what yeah, was he doing all day? day? Yeah. Shut up by himself, just behind the computer doing whatever, like, right. you know, posting on Facebook and MySpace. But, like, I don't know. It just seems like... It just seems like he had a purpose and that his whole suicide and sort of the way he lived his whole life was leading up to that act of jumping off that building. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, you know, him trying to end it, him trying to get out of this world. It was him trying to accomplish something. Right. And did he accomplish it? Right. Did he? It reminds me almost of the whole the whole Heaven's Gate cult mm-hmm. where they had to um, kill themselves because there was a, um, a comet going by oh yeah and they had to like you know it was like a spaceship and they had to like leave their bodies so their souls could get onto the spaceship yep so maybe like he had to kill himself in to coincide with the end of the world because he had to like like leave his physical form in order to like go do whatever it is he had to do you know (sighs) that's crazy and we'll never fucking know we'll never know so bizarre i really think that like most of us are too closed off to that kind of stuff to even know it like, right. you got to think there's more deep things out there. And somebody like Capital Steez, like having those beliefs is always, pretty much always in our culture, going to be seen as somebody who's crazy. Right. Which I hate that word right. in description for anybody, but that's how they're seen. It's just like, oh, they're unstable. And it's just that it's, it's not the norm to right. believe, but it's like. I even have a friend who just, she believes that, like, the electromagnetic forces in the solar system can, like, affect how we feel physically, which doesn't even seem like a very far out thing to me at all. No, like, not at all. yeah, of course that could affect how we feel physically. Like, she's always spot on with her posts. She will, you know, maybe once a week or once every two weeks or something, we'll post something about there being some, like, big electromagnetic storm <laughs> happening or some, some type of shift happening. And, like, these are the things that you could expect to feel. And, and usually she might even post like, oh, last night there was a whatever. Like, so if you had trouble sleeping, if you were feeling really anxious for no reason, like Hmm. she'll describe a bunch of different symptoms. And like every single time, it's not that she's posting it like, oh, this is happening tonight. So it could be like a, you know, you're imagining like, oh shit, what if I feel anxious? And you kind of make it happen. It's always like, this is what happened early this morning or last night. Like if yesterday you felt this way. Right. And every time I'm like, shit, I felt exactly what she described. Right. And she kind of describes it as, like, some people are just more sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Or some people just don't even know. Like, right. if you just kind of feel anxious one day, like, one afternoon, you don't... You're not connecting that to any one particular thing. You're just like, okay. Right. But every single time she posts it, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I felt exactly that way. Right. And I'm like, what the hell, man? But, like, totally people will that. still... I can tell there's people who were like, okay. Right. I'm like, how is it... Like, it's not hurting anybody that she believes that. Right. But if she's, like, more tapped into that particular thing... And yet we totally accept that, like, you know, animals can predict when a tsunami is coming because there's a change in barometric pressure. Yeah. Or that, like, animals can sense when there's, like, lightning coming because they can, like, feel the electromagnetic difference in the air. Yeah. That just seems so logical. Like, we're all beings made up of, like, you know, meat being electrocuted. Yep. So it makes sense that, you know, different electrons or different electricity in the air would affect our, like, mood and how our brain functions. Yeah. That seems so logical to me. Mm Mm-hmm. And it also makes sense that people like capital Steez, you know, maybe like indigo children, if you want to call them that, are more either susceptible to it or are more able to differentiate like what is internally generated feelings and what are being affected upon them from like, you know, the universe. Yeah. So, yeah, like I, I, I totally believe that some people are more sensitive. I feel like I'm relatively sensitive, but I am not able to always divorce what's internal versus external. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to be able to tell, but I totally believe that that stuff affects us. Oh, yeah. And so if... So December 21st, 2012 is supposedly when the Mayan calendar ended. Mm. So if the Mayan calendar ended on that date, it would make sense to me that in some way, either the rotation of the solar system or how the solar system orbits around whatever we're orbiting around the black hole or how <laughs> the black hole our galaxy is orbiting or some some rotation of some part of our like the gears that we're turning in yeah something like ended or came back to the point that it started at mm-hmm. and so it would make sense to me that like energy would be different or that there would be like a 
you know, like when there's a full moon, there's it's like the high point of where the blood is in your head or whatever. Mm -hmm. So maybe like as the the Mayan calendar ended and like it's the end of this world as we know it, there's you know some change in electromagnetic. Like maybe we're going through another electromagnetic field or we're leaving one or you know. Yeah. So I think that like there's totally something to that. Oh yeah. And he was sensitive to it and was maybe trying to like let us know that like you know trying to like mark that date. By his death or something. Yeah. But so many people won't listen to that stuff because not only is he a person raving about stuff that people would write off as crazy, but he's in this niche of being a rapper when I feel like that's even less acceptable in that way where you're supposed to be seen a certain way. And there's all kinds of different, you know, positions to be in in the world where that would be seen as less acceptable. But he's kind of stuck in this thing where it's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, you know, people are... Well, we kind of talked about this a while ago with, like, Kanye West and his seeming mental illness stuff that he's struggling with. Right. And people just not really, like, listening to his most recent album, listening to the lyrics and thinking that, like, there's so many people that will just play those songs at a party. Mm-hmm. Just listen to the songs. They, you know, they love the musical aspect of it, but they're not even, like, listening to what he's saying. Right. Which doesn't take much effort. And when you do listen, you're like, holy shit. This is a cry for help. Yeah, this is like a huge cry for help. But people just don't, you know, they're just like, oh, sweet, like catchy lyrics. Right. Whatever. Like, oh, that's funny. Like, oh, funny music video. Right. But they're not really listening to what's being said. And if you go, I encourage all of our listeners to go and listen to Capital C's. Um, Go on YouTube and search Free the Robots Mm. and watch his music video. That's the only music video, official music video he produced during his career, during his lifetime. Um, and really pay attention to the imagery, the words, the lyrics that he's saying. Yeah. It paints a very vivid picture of kind of where his head was at. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like, you know, typical classic rap music. He's trying to like, he's trying to say something. He's trying to communicate something. He's trying to like, let people know what he's thinking and where his head's at. Yeah. And I don't feel like a lot of people like understood that. Mm -mm. That's why Joey Badass got all the attention because he's... Easier to comprehend, lighter, quick dip in and out of his mindset, and it's like, makes sense. Capital C's, you have to really kind of work at. You have to think about it. You have to, like, internalize it. You have to research, and it's just more complicated, heavier. why, like, the stuff that we talk about is not, like, typical, like, small talk at a party. Right. (laughs) Most people are just like, hey, so, like, how's work? How's the family? Like, oh, we just went on vacation. And we're just like, so, do you want to talk about all of the theories of RFK's assassination? And they're like, no. No, not at all. (laughs) What the fuck? Like, this is too deep. Right. But so much more interesting. So much more interesting. Yeah, he was just trying to tell us some shit, and everybody was just like, okay. Yeah. Cool, dude. And Oh, he's just schizophrenic. Like, we'll just write him off. Yeah, we'll just write him off. Yeah, and it's like, especially if somebody gets a diagnosis of a mental illness, like, then Mm -hmm. it's all over. Oh, yeah. Because then it's like, they people have a guaranteed, like, oh, yeah. Of course. You Yeah, of course, you have this thing, so nothing that you say could ever possibly be valid or rooted in any kind of like reality right because you're just fucking crazy which yeah it's it's all just bullshit but i really think i mean there's been studies done that people with mental illness and people even who tend to be a little bit more on like the sad or like depressed side of things tend Mm -hmm. to be more intelligent more tapped into deeper topics more able to comprehend deeper topics like they just tend to be more intelligent Mm -hmm. overall right which you know kind of like that like ignorance is bliss type of thing it's like it's like, which came first? Did the mental illness come first or did the knowledge of how, yeah, the world come first? And that's what kind of spurred you into this mental illness because it's just, I don't know. I don't think being aware of deeper things in the universe, it's not going to necessarily make you happier. It's almost guaranteed to not make you happier. Oh God, no. The more you learn about the world, the more you want to not learn about the world. Yeah. But, you know, being aware of those things, I think makes you smarter and it makes you I don't know. Yeah, you're just more able to be in tune with everything. Right. So, like, I feel like I, I can tend to be a very negative-leaning person, at least in the sense that, like, I'm just aware of everything that can go wrong. Right. But I also tend to, like, my friends and, like, my husband and stuff would also describe me as being, like, extremely enthusiastic. Like, Nate makes fun of me all the time about, we'll go and get food somewhere, we'll go do something, and I'm always like, this is the best ever, like, this is the greatest day, like, right. oh my god, this is the best thing I've ever had, and he's like, they can't all be the best, and I'm like, but they are, they like, are. and it's just that swing of, like, you know, you can have this knowledge of all this shit, like Capital Steez did, but it doesn't mean that you aren't correct, I don't know, like, that you, right. you're not fucking crazy for just 
right. trying to link up these things in the universe. And like, maybe that's just some people's effort to make sense of things. It's all connected. Yeah. Damn. I'm sad that he's dead. Me too. It's really too bad. R.I.P. Capital C's. We're coming up on his, the sixth anniversary of his death. Oh yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's what? Tomorrow? Yeah. December Shit. 24th. Well, Damn. the early morning of, yeah. the late night, early morning of December 23rd, 24th. Damn. Yeah, so tomorrow night, shit. It's crazy. That sucks. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. It's great, great yeah, rapper. Yeah, he's, he's resting somewhere. Yeah. Or maybe he's not maybe resting. He's not maybe resting he's, at all. He's, yeah. he's working really hard to do... Yeah. He's much busier now. Whatever, yeah. Right. Just Trying to, to think about combat the awful forces that are operating in the world today. Wow. Right? Wow. Well, I guess in a sense, going to my story, maybe it's slightly less bleak <laughs> because there's no guarantee that the people in my story are dead. Right. True. I mean, there's no guarantee that capital C's is dead in right. the, the sense that we think of either, but... He's dead in a biological sense, but... Exactly. Yeah. But he could just be floating around out there somewhere. Which is cool to think about. I'd rather think about that. Me too. He's not He's not gone. He's just he's somewhere just, He's on there. the next part of the adventure. Yeah. He's not limited by his physical body anymore. Yeah. Exactly. There Pretty we go. Cool. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, okay. Right. So My story <laughs> is about some missing children. Merry Christmas. It's great. Um, the Sodder Children. So this is, like I said, maybe not a super known story, but maybe a lot of people know the name, know the, yeah, the name of the mystery, but maybe don't know everything about it. Um, it's got a lot of weird, weird things about it, okay. as you're going to see. So uh, Christmas Eve, 1945, the Sodder family home in Fayetteville, West Virginia was destroyed by a fire. Okay. Um, the people who occupied the home was George Sauter, the dad, okay. his wife, Jenny, and nine of their 10 children. Jesus. Their second oldest son had already left home to serve in World War II. So he was gone. Um, but their other nine children were there. These kids ranged in age from two to 23. So. Damn. Yeah. I don't know how old the second oldest son was, but I think like it was like a 23 year old son and then maybe like a. 17 year old or an 18 year old so yeah like they were just having kids like every couple years wow. um classic like 1945 yeah oh yeah so during the fire uh the two parents and four of the nine children escaped but the bodies of the other five children have never been found weird yeah and the Sodders believed for the rest of their lives that the five missing children survived interesting yeah that's creepy so um yeah, they never rebuilt the house. They converted it into a memorial garden to their lost children. Um, really sad in the 50s when they started, you know, I think at first they were kind of like, maybe they did die in a, the fire. Like, that makes the most sense. Right. Um, but at some point they started to really doubt that they had actually died in the fire, which, again, you'll hear all these weird things that made them doubt this. Um, so they put up a billboard. They kind of lived, I didn't, like, look at a map or anything, but it sounded like they either lived right on, like, a main route that went through West Virginia, or maybe they lived like just right off of it. Um, but they put up a billboard at the site along the state route 16 with pictures of the five missing children offering a reward for information. Um, I think they were offering like, even if somebody could give them information about just one child, like they would give them the reward, wow. which they ended up like doubling the reward at some point. Um, I think they put up a second billboard somewhere close by as well, but <laughs> this was like up for a long time until, um, Jenny, the mother, died in the, like, the late 1980s. So it was up for like 30 years. Jesus. That they were just like, please tell us what happened. Um, super sad. So the night of the fire, uh, Christmas Eve, again, George and Jenny let six of the kids, um, the oldest daughter and then like all the middle-aged children, stay up past their bedtime. Because Christmas Eve, everybody's having fun. Yeah. They open presents. Everybody's like high on, you know, eating cookies and whatever. <laughs> Um, the other three kids, the two oldest boys and the two-year-old went up to bed by like 10 o'clock. So these six kids are just kind of downstairs. They're playing, whatever. Um, Jenny, the mom was woken up around 1230 in the morning. The phone was ringing. She went downstairs to answer it. Um, it was a woman's voice. She didn't recognize asking for a name. She didn't recognize, but she later recalled her weird laugh, which I don't know. Hmm. Okay. So that's just kind of an odd thing. Um, she noticed while she was down there that the lights were still on and the curtains weren't drawn, which is something that usually when the kids stayed up later than the parents, they would take care of that before they came to bed. So she was kind of like, that's weird. Right. Um, but she noticed that the oldest daughter had fallen asleep on the couch. So she just assumed she fell asleep on the couch. The other five kids 
uh, slept up in the attic. So she was just like, okay, they all went to bed. Like they just forgot. Right. No big deal. Um, she woke up again around one in the morning by the sound of something hitting the roof with a loud bang and then rolling, which is hmm. really weird. That is weird. She didn't hear anything else. Like she kind of sat there listening and nothing else happened. So she was like, whatever. Went back to bed. Um, half hour later, she's woken up and smells smoke. So she finds that the husband George's office was on fire um, around sort of like the telephone line and the fuse box area. So she woke up the husband. He woke their older sons, um, both of them. And then again, four of the children escaped, which were the two oldest sons who had already gone to bed, the daughter who had fallen asleep on the couch, and then the two-year-old all got out. Um, but the five children, again, who typically slept in the attic, when they were escaping the house, the stairs to the attic were already on fire, so they couldn't get up there. So they were screaming for these kids. They didn't hear anything. They didn't see the kids. They had to get out of the house um, and have no idea what happened, basically. Um, the 23-year-old son originally said that he had gone upstairs to alert his siblings, but then later he changed his story to say that he only yelled up there and didn't actually see them. So again, nobody knows if they actually went upstairs or not. Hmm. It, nothing that I read mentioned whether the daughter who fell asleep on the couch, like, remembered the kids going upstairs before she fell asleep or if she fell asleep while they were still playing. Right. Um, so there's really nobody knows whether or not they went up there or did they never go upstairs. Interesting. We don't know. Um, there was a lot of difficulty getting the fire department to their house. Their phone didn't work, um, which they assumed was because of the fire. So the oldest daughter had to go to a neighbor's house to call the fire department, but that also didn't work. Like the operator couldn't be reached for some reason. So, um, and a nearby motorist even had seen the flames from the road and went to a nearby tavern to call the fire department and that phone wouldn't work. So finally, either that person or the daughter got to another phone, like in the center of town and called the fire department. So this was like a long time kind of, because what right. else are you supposed to do? Wow. Um, so that was frustrating. It's like, it took a long time. Um, George, the dad climbed the outside wall of the house barefoot to break the attic window in an attempt to get to the kids. Jesus. Um, he usually kept a ladder leaning against the house, which he planned to use the rescue of the kids, but it couldn't be found anywhere, hmm. which is weird. Um, there was a barrel of water nearby, which he would have used, but it was frozen because it was December. That's my dog barking because <laughs> the mailman just dared to put mail in our mailbox. How dare they? Um, he tried to pull both of his business trucks close enough to climb on to reach the attic, but neither of the trucks would start despite the day before having worked perfectly. Hmm. So another odd thing. Ooh, cow. You're okay. Hey, enough. Alright. So <laughs> all this weird stuff. The ladder's gone, the trucks don't work. We don't know why. Um, the family basically just had no choice but to watch the house burn to the ground. To the ground. Over the next 45 minutes, um, the fire department was low on manpower because of World War II, um, so they didn't arrive until later that morning. Um, at that point, there wasn't any fire to put out, really. Like, I'm sure there must have still been something to do, but essentially they were there to sift through the ashes that were left. Wow. Um, by 10 a.m., they were told, the family was told that no bones had been found, which would have been expected if the children were burned in the fire. Right. Um, but it was concluded that the fire must have blazed hot enough to just burn their bodies completely. And it was ruled to be an accidental fire um, due to, quote, faulty wiring. Hmm. So, but the Sodders were convinced that their children lived because of these weird things, which there's a whole friggin' list. Got like a page and a half wow. worth of weird shit. Um, so, starting back in October that same year, um, a life insurance salesman visited the family after George was like, no, we're good. He warned George that his house, quote, would go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. Which is not a great sales tactic. No, it's terrible. <laughs> wow. Or I guess if you're a, a life insurance salesman, it's a great tactic. It's a great tactic. Yeah, like this shit's going to happen. So you better get life insurance. And he's like, no, I'm good. Um, which he attributed to, and it, the quote made it sound like the life insurance salesman said this. Um, the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. So, for some background, George and Jenny actually both were Italian immigrants. Okay. Um, and George apparently, so they lived in this uh, Fayetteville, West Virginia, which apparently was had a lot of Italian immigrants living there and living around there. And 
George and Jenny were both kind of very active in the community, but George was very outspoken with his beliefs, in particular his hatred for Mussolini and okay. um, and the, the fascist government of his native Italy in general. So there were a lot of people that kind of took issue with him because of that, who had this loyalty to Mussolini and were like, how dare you? Right. Um, so yeah. Okay. This life insurance salesman was also among the jurors in the inquest that the coroner made to determine why the solder home burned, which again was said to be faulty wiring. So weird that right. he happened to be in these two different places. Um, there was another visitor. I don't know exactly when this was, but apparently seeking work, he took the occasion to go around to the back of the house and warn George that a pair of fuse boxes would quote, cause a fire someday. Which kind of puzzled George because he had just recently had the house rewired and had it inspected and everything. So he was right. kind of like, okay. Um, odd. His In the weeks before Christmas, um, his older sons had noticed a strange car parked along the main highway with the occupants of the car watching the younger solder children as they returned home from school. So, not sure what was up with that. Yeah, that's weird. Um, again, yeah, George was very outspoken about hating Mussolini. Um and so they kind of, because of this, they started to suspect maybe it was a case of arson and kidnapping by the Sicilian mafia. Who? Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Essentially like George's ties to Italy are kind of murky. He came to the U S when he was 13 with an older brother who like, as soon as the older brother got him through customs, like went back to Italy. So he wasn't even like leaving Italy with some family. Like his whole family was coming over. Like his brother brought him over and was like, cool. See ya. Wow. And left and went back. And I guess George never really talked about why he left Italy, but it does seem odd at 13 to come to the United States. Like, I don't know what, like, were his parents dead? Were, was his whole family still back over there? And he just pieced out? Like, it just, it's bizarre. And yeah, there was no, not really known why he left. So. There's something going on there. Something's going on. Um, Hmm. Yeah, he, he disputed the fire department's finding that the fire was electrical, again, because he had just had the house rewired and inspected, which obviously is debatable. Like, that's no guarantee that it was done well, that there wasn't a mistake made. Who knows? Right. <laughs> um, and I guess they noticed that the Christmas lights, um, either in the house or on the outside of the house, I don't know, but stayed on while the fire burned, and they wondered why the power hadn't gone out completely, which I don't really know that much about those details, like, as far as, like, what a fire would do. I would think that it would be possible that like something could have kind of sparked and caused a fire that wouldn't necessarily put the whole power out. I don't really know. Right. Especially like back in the 1940s. Like, yeah, like I have no clue, but they thought that was suspicious. Um, there was a driver of a bus that passed through the town late Christmas Eve, um, that said that he saw people throwing quote balls of fire at the house, like that night while it was like, but shortly before it was burning. Which is also very, very strange. Yes. Um, after the snow melted, so kind of like earlier that, that next spring, the youngest daughter found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object in a bush that resembled a pineapple bomb hand grenade or some other kind of incendiary device. Um, and again, George recalled his wife hearing that thud and the roll on the roof. Right. So, but that, at that point, the house was burned down. There's no way to prove that the fire started on the roof or what the deal was. Right. Um, but seems really odd. Like, yeah, that's strange. You aren't really going to mistake driving at night, seeing people throwing balls of fire at something, you know? Yeah. You can't really mistake something else for that. Very specific memory. Mm. Hmm. And something you wouldn't forget. I mean, if I was driving around at night and saw people throwing balls of fire, like that would stick with me, I think. Yes. So what the hell? Um, again, that ladder that was normally against the side of the house was not there when he looked for it. Not that weird in general, could have, like, maybe he put it somewhere else and forgot, but they later found it at the bottom of an embankment 75 feet away from the house. So, seems very hmm. much like it was put there. Right. In order to stop him from being able to get up there. Super weird. Um, a telephone repairman told the Sodders that the house's phone line, that, again, they thought didn't work because of the fire, right. had not been burned through in the fire as they expected, but cut by someone who had climbed the 14-foot pole to do so. Interesting. Which is super creepy. Um, there was a man who was identified by some of the neighbors and arrested. He was seen stealing a block and tackle, which is like a pulley system for lifting heavy shit. Um, he was kind of around the time of the fire. I don't know if it was right before or like during the fire on the property stealing this thing. 
this dude admitted to cutting the phone line, saying that he thought it was the power line, which still doesn't really make sense to me, no. um, but denied having anything to do with the fire. So I don't know why. If you're going to, like, if you're trying to sneak around and steal something, like, why would you cut the power? Right. Which would make people probably go outside. Right. Or, yeah, you know, it's... do some kind of, like, inspecting. Like, what the hell, man? And right. why did you think the power line was way up on, like, a phone pole? Right. Like, why would you need to cut the power to steal something that's outside? Yeah. That doesn't I don't, make any sense. I don't get it. So, like, okay, dude. That seems shady. Yeah. Um, the mother, Jenny, had kind of always been rubbed the wrong way about the idea that, like, oh, maybe the, they were just burned entirely. Right. Um, she noticed that, like, when they were looking through the ash of the house, that, like, there were some, you know household appliances that were still like basically fully you know not intact but fully recognizable yeah um and she just thought like it just seemed too weird that they, they would be totally incinerated she kind of did her own little experiments with like animal bones and found that you know there would always be some fragments left at least yeah and she actually spoke to the owner of a local crematorium who told her that fragments of bone remain even after being burned in 2000 degree heat for two hours which he said was hotter than the house would have been burning. Yeah. So, shady. Hmm. Again, like, there would be something. At the end, like, of five children, there'd be, like, even if there was only one bone, there'd be something. Yeah, there'd be something. Um, it was kind of debated if the fire department did a great job inspecting in general, so hmm. who knows. But, yeah, the fact that they found nothing right. just seems so weird. Um there was a woman who had watched the fire from the road, said that she had seen some of the children peering out of a passing car while the house was burning. So these kids were, I mean, it's nighttime though, so like, right. was it actually the kids? Did she know the kids well? I mean, we're assuming this is a small town, but who knows? But that was weird. Um, there was another woman who worked at a rest stop between Fayetteville and Charleston, said that she served the kids breakfast the next morning. Um, like they were there with some adults. And hmm. said that she recognized them, like, from the, the flyers and stuff like that. So, super weird. That's weird. And later on, they hired a private investigator to do some more research on this for them. Um, he found out that the fire chief, uh, this man named Morris, despite saying that no human remains had been found, had indeed found a heart. But instead of telling the family, he put it into a metal box and buried it. Apparently, he confessed this to, like, a local minister who confirmed that, like, yes, he told me this. Um, so the family confronted the chief. He admitted it and showed them where it was buried, which, like, this whole thing is just like, what, what the fuck? fuck? <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> what the hell? That is such a strange thing to do with that. So strange. So, yeah, he showed them. They took this box to a local funeral director who looked at it and said that it was actually very fresh beef liver that had never been exposed to fire. So they went back to the chief, like, what the fuck, dude? What are you doing? <laughs> Like, I can't get over the weirdness of it. Right. And the chief admitted that he placed it there in hopes that they would find it and be satisfied that the children had died in the fire. Which, like... <laughs> what? Why would you... You couldn't... Do... Okay. So you <laughs> like, couldn't find, like, okay. some kind of, like, bones or something. Like, something. Like, that was, like, less weird than that. You take <laughs> yeah. a beef liver that, and then pretend it's a heart. Which pretend it's a heart. Livers and hearts do not look the same. No. And if you're going to go through the effort, at least take, like, a beef, like, a bone. If you don't right. care if somebody's going to, like, forensically ana a a analyze it to yeah. figure out if it's human or not. Exactly. And, like... And bury it in a metal box? Yeah. Like, what the fuck, dude? Why not just, while you're, like... I mean, maybe he didn't have time that night, but, like, why not bring it, like, the next day and be like, oh, we found this. Right. Why, like, bury it and in why a would box? And why would it... Of all things that would survive a fire, why would a heart... Yeah, heart. Just a clean <laughs> heart. Yeah, there's no bones here, but this heart survived. And it's fine. And it looks like it's never been touched bizarre. by fire. Yeah. And and then just confess it to a minister. Like, how did he expect they were ever going to find it? Like, were they just going to dig up the yard on their own and, like, be like, oh, this must have been from the fire. Right. This weird heart in a what? box. <laughs> like, what Because, like, ministers aren't supposed to, like, say that kind of thing. Ministers, they're, yeah. like, it's like a confidentiality thing. Yeah. So it's like, so he planted this story at, like, what? Like, in hopes that, like, I just don't even, it's so convoluted. Like, what the hell? So I that happened. Smoking crack or something. Which is shady. Like, why did he want them to just, like, give up and stop? You know, right. if if they really found nothing and if these parents are, like, distraught, what's his motivation for, like, just stop looking, guys? Right. Like, don't look into this anymore. It seems weird. Yeah. Um, and again, there was another woman who claimed to have seen them, like, a week after the fire at a hotel she worked at. They were with two men and two women who she said seemed to be of, quote, of Italian extraction. 
Um, and I guess she tried to talk to the kids and the adults became very agitated and started like speaking in very fast Italian to each other and then like rushed the kids out and they left the next morning. Hmm. So there were like multiple stories of like these kids being seen after the elsewhere. Fire. Yeah. After the fire. So hmm. super shady. Um, yeah. So the parents were like, again, not done with this they were not like content with just like sure they're just dead um so like george sauter had put in a request to the fbi for hoping they would investigate this as a kidnapping because again he was convinced that these kids had not died in that fire um but j edgar hoover himself declined the request saying that of course if the local police or fire departments requested assistance they would send some agents but the police and fire departments declined to do so um, hmm. in 1949, like four years later, he was finally able to persuade a Washington DC pathologist to supervise a new search through the remains of the house. Um, they found a few bone fragments of human vertebrae. So they're hmm. kind of like, okay, but it was determined that the age of like child slash teenager that this would have come from did not match any of the missing kids. It was like, I think the oldest missing kid was 14 and it was determined that this would probably be like 17 to 20. So it was just too advanced. That's weird. Um, which on its own, they were like, maybe the 14 year old had, you know, it's possible he could have had vertebrae that matched. Right. Um, but again, they were determined to have not been exposed to fire. And then the private investigator ended up admitting that they came from a nearby cemetery, but like, wouldn't say how or why. What the fuck? I know. And so they had put this, like, memorial garden or whatever over the site. So my thought was, like, is it possible that, like, the dirt came? Like, but why would the dirt come from the cemetery, like, from an area where... There's bones. There's bones. Like, doesn't Maybe make any sense. Maybe it was, like, an unmarked, like, an un unmarked grave. Yeah. Like, I have no idea. But, like, the private mm. investigator, like, knew that they had it come from there. So I'm kind of like, okay. So it just seems like a lot of people planting things to be like, see? Right. They're dead. Like, give it up. And then it keeps coming out like, no, it actually isn't like, anything we, to do like, with them. We did a sh really shitty job <laughs> making yeah. this evidence. We did a terrible, terrible job. Um, and yeah, in 1950, there were two different hearings. Um, and the governor of West Virginia and the state police superintendent ended up closing the case, telling the family that it was, quote, hopeless. So they were kind of just like, sorry. Wow. This sucks for you. Um, but yeah, George, the dad, was intent on solving this case. Um, every single lead that he got from anybody, like of any level, he followed up and like would go there himself to be like, I'm figuring this out. Um, he went to St. Louis. A woman claimed that one of the daughters was being held in a convent there. Um, he didn't find anything about that. He went to Texas after this bar patron had heard another customer like make some statements about a Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. Nothing panned out from that. He went to Florida when he heard that one of Jenny's, his wife's, relatives had children that looked similar to his children. He, like, insisted that she prove that they were her own children. I don't know how she did that. But he, like, would not leave it alone until Sheila was like, seriously, these are my kids. They came out of my vagina. Yeah. He went to Houston in 1967. So this is, like, almost 20, over 20 years later. Um, there was a woman that said that, I don't know if she was, like, at a bar or what, a man had had a little too much to drink and admitted to being one of the sons and living with one of the other sons. Um, yeah, George went there. He met with the two men, but they denied it at that point that they were the sons, which is hard to know. I mean, if it's 20 years after you're, again, like these, the oldest kid that went missing was 14. So, you know, maybe this was like a 14 and like a 12 year old at the time when they went missing. Like, yeah. on one hand, you'd think that a father would recognize his kid on the other hand, it was 20 years later. Right. So, like, would you necessarily? You would You would think, but yeah. Yeah, who 20 knows? 20 years is a long time. It's a long time. If you hadn't seen your kid, who knows how different they could look in 20 years. But, yeah. But I guess he, like, always regretted not probing into that more because he just didn't know. Again, like, it was... Their biggest suspicion was that these kids had been taken by the mafia. Right. So their thought, and maybe their hope, was that if that had happened that they potentially would be in danger if they ever got into contact with these kids. So I think their their hope in the whole thing was that if the kids were missing because of that, the kids were intentionally not getting in touch with them to not endanger the rest of the family. Right. Because there were still these other 
four kids, well, technically five kids, the kid that was um, in World War II. So, you know, maybe these kids were staying away on purpose, hmm. you know, not that they left on purpose, but just now that they knew that the family was in danger, they were like, let's just not do right. that. So, yeah. Um, their craziest bit of evidence, I suppose, was, it didn't say the year, but they received a letter from Central City, Kentucky, no return address. Inside was a picture of a young man around the age of 30 who resembled one of the missing sons who would have been about 30 at the time. Right. On the back was written, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie. It was like, in these weird like lines, like Louis Sauter was one line. Below that, I love brother Frankie. Below that, it said, it was like, capital I-L-I-L boys, which I don't know, like I-Lil, or is it supposed to be like two? I don't even know. Hmm. So there was that, and then the next line down said A90132 or 35. What the fuck? Oh, weird. And they hired a private investigator to go investigate, like in this central city, Kentucky. This investigator never got back to them and they could never find him again. What the fuck? So they, like, they kept this photo. They, like, had it blown up. They have it, like, hanging on their, had it hanging on their wall because they were convinced that this was their son. Potentially trying to get, like, just tell them that he was still alive, that he was okay. Right. Um, I have no idea what those numbers mean. Right. What the hell? If that was them, I would have, like, gone crazy trying to interpret those numbers. Right. Like, my my immediate thought was, me. like, um like a prison number. Mm. That and could I be. I don't know if that's true, but. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know what the I Little Boys is. Don't know. Illinois Boys or something? Yeah. I don't know. So, hmm. yeah, that was their, their most compelling thing that they got. Which, again, could be somebody messing with them. Right. Which is really cruel if it is. Yes. Um, but could have been that boy trying to be like, hey, I'm good. Like, why not give a less cryptic message, dude? Right. Especially you're writing this, like, when you're 30. Right. I love Brother Frankie. This is weird. Even like, we're okay. We love you. Yeah. Something like not just like weird ass numbers at the end. Right. But who knows? Um, so yeah, George died in 1969, having never figured out what happened to his kids. Um, Jenny, and this was unclear if she started wearing black when George died or if this was like from the time the kids went missing, but she, the rest of her life wore black in mourning for the kids. Wow. Um, she died in 1989 and... As of 2015, the only family member still alive is the youngest daughter, who was two at the time. Um, and she still believes that her siblings survived and has kind of been investigating sort of in the background of her life this whole time. Hmm. She may never know. Like, I have so many questions. Like, I know. Like, I guess I could buy the whole, like, them criticizing Mussolini and other Italians in the area, like, burning down their house as like a fuck you for mm. not supporting Mussolini. Yeah. That makes logical sense. The throwing the fireballs makes sense. Yep. Having that guy who's like stealing the block and tackle, having that as a cover to cut the telephone line. Um, you know, like you admit to a smaller crime to cover up a larger crime. Mm. That makes sense. Yep. Moving the ladder so that they can't get up and like, you know, get the fire off the roof or whatever. Yeah. Also Messing makes with sense. The trucks. Messing with the trucks. Yeah. Cutting the telephone line in such a way that, like, the the, t the closest other phone, which is, like, that tavern, doesn't have it. That that all makes sense. Yeah. But what I don't understand would be either the missing children, as in, like, their bodies burned up completely, mm. or I also don't understand why they would be kidnapped. Right. They never... There's no compelling reason. Like, yeah. Like, why would you kidnap five children? Like, and if it was those two Italian men who, like, had them in the, the hotel or whatever... Mm. What are they doing with them? Right. Why are they kidnapping them? Why are they... Like, if this dude's, like, a dissident who's, like, criticizing the regime or whatever, and if these... Were these people working, like... Were they working for the Italian government? Right. Were they working for the Italian mafia? Were they just, like, regular citizens who supported Mussolini? <laughs> who was like, fuck you guys. And if so, like, why are they kidnapping five children? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Like, burning down the house makes so much sense as, like, a fuck you. Yeah. But, like, kidnapping five children... Right. That would be... Just logistically, that would be really difficult. Like, yeah. first of all, getting them out of the house without waking anybody up, especially because they're in the attic. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, trying to like corral five youngish children yeah. who don't want to be there, who are away from their parents, right. who if they were in that car driving by watching their house burn down, know that their house burned down, who are going to be agitated about that. Yeah. That would just be like a nightmare. Yeah. I don't and get it. 
It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, my only thought is that if they wanted to, like, take some of the kids as, like, a further fuck you, probably the, you know, if the two-year-old, it wasn't clear where the two-year-old slept, <clears throat> potentially slept in the bedroom with the parents. Right. So that might have been tough. The older kids would have been tougher to take because they were older. Maybe these five were easy to take. And maybe it wasn't even planned which kids to take. Right. But, like, again, if those five kids never made it up to the attic that night and, like, the older daughter was asleep on the couch, like, maybe the kids were, like, sleeping on the floor or something, maybe, like, they came in and were just, like, we'll just grab these five. Like, they're an easy enough age. I don't know what age they started at. Maybe, like, four or six or something, like, up to 14. Yeah. But, yeah, it seems like five kids would be really tough. And, like, how did they get those... those, Were the kids, like, silent when they left the house? Like, you'd think if they were in the living room with the oldest daughter, like, how did she not hear multiple people coming in and taking five of her siblings? Right. Before setting the house on fire. Yeah, before setting the house on fire. It just doesn't... None of that makes sense to me. No. Nothing about it makes any sense. It definitely doesn't make sense that they burn in the fire. No. There's no... No, there was like no that. evidence of that. Right. I mean, maybe, like, the house burning literally all night would be long enough. Like, he was saying that, like, there'd be bone fragments after two hours. Yeah. Of burning in a crematorium at a higher heat. Right. So maybe, like, a lower temperature for, like, you know, whatever, eight, eight hours or Right. I don't really know. Hours like, or whatever. the fire seemed to start somewhere around one, maybe, yeah, one or one thirty. Because she had woken up at one. And there was no smoke. Right. And then she woke up at one thirty, and there was smoke. Okay. So it must have been somewhere around there. And then, yeah, it was unclear because it just said that by 10 o'clock they concluded that they didn't find any bones. So I don't know exactly what time the fire department got there, but it was several hours. Right. They didn't get there right away. They got there at least a couple like hours later. In the morning or whatever. Yeah. So like three, four hours maybe. I don't know. It, right. it just doesn't seem like it would, like I was saying, like five kids, there'd be yeah. some bone fragment. Yeah, you'd think that there'd be something. And yeah, there just wasn't anything right i don't and i don't i just i still don't buy them getting kidnapped i just no. don't that doesn't that doesn't fit with the rest of the story like it doesn't fit right unless there's some reason like unless they kidnapped the kids and brought them back to italy to like fight for mussolini or something or, right yeah and all of the people who said that they saw the kids like the woman at the hotel that i guess wasn't taken super seriously because she hadn't seen pictures of the like the missing kids until like two years after the case or something like that no yeah it was like two years after the case and then she didn't come forward until like five years after so she supposedly like saw the pictures of the kids two years after and was like oh shit wait i saw them a week after that and then didn't come forward for three more years yeah that's weird so that's a little strange so they didn't really like follow up too much with that because they were like okay and then like what are you going to do at that point right so Pretty much all of the people who said that they saw the kids somewhere weren't fully reliable. And there was no proof. It was just people saying, like, oh, yeah, I saw them. Like, the woman who saw them at the rest stop, like, she could have seen them. Right. She could have seen a few other, like, Italian-looking kids. Right. If there's a large population of Italian ki- Italian people in Fayetteville. Yeah. It's possible it could have just been a different... I mean, like, back then, people had, like, a million kids anyway. So yeah. a family with five kids probably wouldn't be out of the ordinary. Right. So... Yeah, really the only thing that that was just struck as weird was that picture that was sent. Yeah, and that photo was strange, too. Yeah, because they really did think that it looked like the missing kid, the kid Lewis. And, but again, no proof there either. I mean, it was just a picture of a dude, a 30-year-old dude that you would think, I mean, a grief-stricken family, grief-stricken parents, like, could definitely potentially draw a connection and be like, oh my god. It's gotta be. Yeah, especially if the name was on there, like you'd instantly be like, oh, yeah, like, that could totally be him. Which, again, 20 years or whatever later, right? you don't really know for sure what your kid would look like if they went missing when they were, however, you know, 12 years old. Right. So I could see that they could make the connection in, like, their desperation for, like, please let this be him. Right. And, I mean, who knows if that gave them some comfort before they died. It's not the worst thing. Right. If at least they could think, like, thank God he's alive. I just think, like, if it's a prank, like, what are the um, the numbers on the back? Right. Yeah, I would love to know. I didn't get a chance to look up because, like, of course, I'm sure this case has been talked about, like, on Reddit and stuff like that. Right. I'd love to know what people have interpreted those numbers to mean. Right. And, yeah, just confusing that it was, like, the weird, yeah, A90132 or 35. 
I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. But there's got to be some theories about what that could mean. Right. So I'd be curious about that, but who knows? Hmm. Yeah. So you have to wonder, like, maybe, like, was he not able to give more information? He clearly was trying to say something with those numbers. Right. But who knows what the hell it was. So, yeah, the whole thing is just a fucking mind fuck. Yeah. Makes no sense. But it's just, yeah, it's super tragic that these poor parents, like, just had to die not knowing. What happened to their five children? Yeah. I mean, that's intense. Like, one kid going... I mean, I, I can't imagine how traumatizing that would be just to have one kid right. go missing. But five kids? Right. Like, half of your kids. That's crazy. Just gone. In the span of one night. Lose your house and half your kids. Yeah, that's pretty traumatizing. Yeah. So, it's no surprise that they just spent the rest of their lives just glued to this case. Because, like, how could you not? You know? I'm sure they would have been fucked up even if it was guaranteed the kids died. If they had, like, heard them screaming and found bones and they were like, okay, yeah, they're dead. Right. You'd still be fucked up forever. Right. It's still five dead kids. Yeah. But on top of that, you're just like, I have no idea. Hmm. Yeah. So, if anybody has any theories... Right in. I would love to hear them because... Specifically about those numbers. You want to know about the numbers. Yeah. I'm completely lost. So. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Two super happy Christmas games. Happy holidays. Yeah. Christmas Eve, guys. Yay. So, yeah. Episode 10. Crazy. Capital Steez and the Solder Children. Solder Children. Super sad. Yeah. So, let us know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes. Or yeah. rating. Find us on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, let us know if there's anything you want to hear about. Yeah. This is Please. episode 10 of Unknowable. 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 All right. Love you. <laughs>